I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Exodus chapters 10 through 12. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In chapter 10, we get some answers that we've been waiting for. The key verses to the whole God-Moses-Pharaoh ordeal are right here in verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord." In Exodus chapters 7 through 9, we see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So one might wonder, why perform the miracles of bringing the plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians if God was going to cause Pharaoh to dig in his heels each time and refuse compliance? Well, here's your answer in verses 1 and 2. Again, let me read them. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, have you been thinking all this time that the miracles were for Pharaoh's benefit? If you're going to lead approximately two million people out of the only life they've ever known, You'd better demonstrate to the people how awesome their God really is. And that's what God is allowing Moses to do before these Hebrews. The miracles of the plagues were for the Hebrews' benefit. Now this is a good time to get an overview of how Pharaoh came by his stubborn streak. If you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, you'll see that I've listed 18 separate verses that speak of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so it's a concept between chapters 4 all the way down to chapter 14. It's a concept that we must understand that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now you have to agree based upon these passages that the plagues, well, they weren't at all about convincing Pharaoh. They were all about convincing the Hebrews. And so that brings us to plague number 8, locust. I mean, locust everywhere. Verse 3, So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left." which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen, 
since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go. We must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locust as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Oh, by the way, has, has anyone seen those Egyptian magicians lately? Looks like they could use a few more locusts here. Well, verse 7 indicates some movement in the Egyptian-Hebrew contract negotiations. It says, Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Pharaoh wanted some hostages, though, to make certain that Moses and the men would return. You see, up to this point, Moses had only requested from Pharaoh that they be permitted to go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to God. Obviously, Pharaoh suspects that Moses and company have no intention of returning from this outing. But Moses drives a hard bargain. He says, when we go to worship, we'll take our women, children, and cattle. I can't imagine why Pharaoh was suspicious of their intentions, can you? All right, Pharaoh, hang on for the locust. Finally, Pharaoh cries, Uncle. Well, maybe not those words exactly. But he does come to another of those breaking points in verse 16. That's where he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So Moses rids the land of the locust. He does a better job here than he did with the frogs. You'll recall that they just died in place and stank up the land. 
perhaps to make a nice breeding ground for those flies that followed. God actually causes a wind to blow the locusts back into the sea. Breach a contract. There it is in verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Oh, incidentally, a locust infestation like this happens in that region from time to time, just as it did in November of 2004. Many of you remember that. The notable miracle here is that Moses was able to orchestrate their arrival and their departure with his supernatural control of the wind. Plague number nine, three days of darkness, in verses 21 through 29 of chapter 10. Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have well spoken. I will never see your face again. Well, here's the last plague before the big one, and this one is darkness. This is some heavy-duty darkness, too. It's so dark that the Egyptians could not even move outside. It would appear that not even artificial light penetrated the darkness outside. Each of the plagues up to this point have been caused by God's supernatural influence over nature at the command of Moses as a consequence to Pharaoh's refusal to submit. There's no reason to believe that this one is any different. These three days of darkness were likely the phenomenon in that region known as Kamsin, or sometimes uh, spelled with a C instead of a K at the beginning, Kamsin. This is a wind that moves eastward along the southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it happens generally in the March-April time period. It's unusual for it to last as long as three days, but the dust that's stirred up in the air is truly darkness which may even be felt, as it's described there in the passage. In its severest activity, all light is blocked. Darkness prevailed, and folks generally avoid going outside if at all possible. And by the way, this phenomenon still occurs today, just not to the extent that we read in this passage. Of course, the Hebrews had light. Pharaoh calls for Moses, and he fires up negotiations again. He says, Take your women and children to the wilderness to worship, but leave your cattle. In the world of contract negotiations, you know, where you give a little, take a little, that seemed like a pretty attractive offer, but nope, no compromises. Let's get real here for a moment. If you go into the wilderness to worship with all your wives, your children, and your cattle, 
How likely are you to return a few days later and serve again as slaves? So we see in verse 28 that God hardens Pharaoh's heart once again. But this time Pharaoh adds to his harsh words when he says in verse 28, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. Then he adds to that, For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Well, Pharaoh, I don't think it's actually going to turn out like that. In chapter 11, God outlines the exit strategy with Moses. Verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me, and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now keep in mind that Moses has never asked Pharaoh for anything more than a vacation, three days into the wilderness to offer a sacrifice to God. Now, the sticky point in the negotiations up to this point have been that Moses was not willing to leave anything behind to indicate that they ever would return after they made the sacrifices. Pharaoh's already seen that that's the deal breaker right there. Well, here in verse 1, God tells Moses that Pharaoh will drive him out of Egypt after they lose their firstborn sons. Now, if there's one thing we've learned about Pharaoh, it's that he bristles up at a challenge. And he does here. God instructs Moses to get the Hebrews to take up a collection before they go. Now, while the King James Version uses the word borrow in verse 2, trust me when I say that the Hebrew word sha'al holds no implication whatsoever that the Egyptians will ever be receiving their contributions back at any point in the future. Now, the New King James Version uses the word ask. Moses begins speaking in verse 4, but it's not apparent that he's speaking to Pharaoh until we get down to verse 8. Moses warns Pharaoh about the death of Egypt's firstborn in this chapter. It's the last big confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. Notice verses 9 and 10, it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. 
Well, I guess it's time for the big plague, plague number 10. Now let's once again emphasize something, that Moses had only requested up to this point a temporary leave to go sacrifice in the wilderness. But we see in verse 1 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from there. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. It's also interesting that only Pharaoh was the big holdout here. If you notice verse 3, it says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. God wasn't hardening their hearts. God was just hardening that of Pharaoh. I guess we should point out here that the jewelry taken by the Hebrews would later on be used to construct a tabernacle in the wilderness. Oh, and by the way, that's the jewelry they also used to construct the golden calf later on. And then we have the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Israel's biggest historical event, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you should make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall leave none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, And will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations." You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Well, nine plagues down and one really big plague to go. But first, there must be some preparation. Now, the calendars were based upon the new moon. If you'd like to see a thorough explanation of the Jewish calendar, and the positioning of the feast, there's a link on the page. Or you can go to the topic section of BibleTrack.org and click there on the uh, Jewish feast and on the calendar. You'll see from the calendar of feast or festivals that the Passover festival or feast and the festival on unleavened bread were two different Jewish festivals on successive days. So here's what we have. Israel will forever modify their calendars because of the following sequence of events. God tells them that this month, the month of Nisan, will become their first month. And on the tenth day of this month, the people will get a lamb without blemish for the purpose of sacrificing it on the fourteenth day of the month. And smaller families could share a lamb with a neighbor. On the fourteenth day, they'll slay that lamb. Then, and this is important, They'll sprinkle the blood on their doorpost and above the door before they settle in that night to eat the Passover meal. Beginning on the 15th day, they'll eat unleavened bread for seven days. Now notice the specific instructions on the meal in verse 8. It says, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. This meal, by the way, is symbolic of the hurry they're going to be in to get out of Egypt. No time to wait for the leaven to cause the bread to rise. The blood on the doorpost here is important as well. When the angel of death shows up, only those with blood sprinkled on the door will have their firstborn son spared from death. And this is to be a very significant day for Israel forever. Look at verse 14. It says, 
and ye shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Hey, uh, why the blood on the door, do you suppose? Doesn't God know who are Israelites and who are Egyptians? Well, of course he does, but it was a faith thing. You see, the blood here is the key. As a matter of fact, any Hebrew who refused to sprinkle the blood on his door, he was in for a long night. Conversely, some non-Hebrews who did sprinkle the blood would, by faith, presumably be spared as well, as we'll see in verse 38. That assumes that they had been previously circumcised as the Hebrews were, which we see in verses 43 to 45. Now, according to verse 48, perhaps some non-Hebrews were circumcised that night as well. And we'll see that uh, when we get down to verse 48. So what happens at midnight? Well, verse 29, we'll start reading again. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leaven, having their kneading bowls bound up and their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptian articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, where it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Well, this is the big one. Pharaoh here summons Moses in the middle of the night and tells him to leave with his people, cattle, and everything. Just go. Look at verses 31 and 32. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Whoa, did you see that? Pharaoh, who was thought by the Egyptians to be divine, he asked Moses to bless him. Oh, one more thing should be noticed here. Pharaoh still not granting a permanent move of residence to Moses and the Hebrews. 
just the vacation requested to go sacrifice. We see in verse 37 the number of Hebrews at 600,000 men. When you count women and children into that number, a conservative estimate for the whole nation of Hebrews would be something greater than 2 million people. Notice again in verse 35 the silver, gold, and clothing taken by the Hebrews from the Egyptians. It's sort of ironic to think that some of this gold will go make an Egyptian-looking golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. However, Moses will later take up a gold collection from among the Hebrews for the construction of the tabernacle that will follow, as God specifies in Exodus chapter 25. So what about this mixed multitude of verse 38? Who are they? Well, they're not Hebrews. That's all we know for certain. They get another mention in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14. So it was not only Jews who left Egypt that night. We see the specific instructions regarding the Passover meal in verses 43 to 45, which specifically indicate that in order to partake of the Passover meal, one must have, first of all, been circumcised, as were the Jews. Or perhaps this mixed multitude left with the Hebrews had lost their firstborn as well, but now they choose to leave with the Hebrews. So then we have the institution of the Passover in verses 43 to 51. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Well, this is Israel's banner day. In verse 43, we see that this event and day are to be observed by Israel forever as a reminder of God's deliverance. And then some general instructions for its future observance are given here. More, by the way, is written in Leviticus chapter 23. Now, worth noting here regarding the treatment of the Passover lamb is the specification in verse 46, which says, "...nor shall you break one of its bones." Jesus, as our Passover lamb, was likewise spared the broken bones which commonly accompanied a Roman crucifixion. And that's according to John 19, verse 33. Now, there's an interesting deduction that might be made regarding circumcision and Passover. In the initial instructions given to the Hebrews regarding the observance of Passover in Exodus chapter 12, verse 48, they were adamantly instructed, no uncircumcised person shall eat it. Now that's also reinforced in Numbers chapter 9, prior to the observance of their first Passover out of Egypt. We're not told in Scripture that the Hebrews actually observed another Passover during the 38 years of wilderness wandering. But it appears that perhaps they did not 
based upon Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. In that passage in Joshua, Joshua is instructed to have a mass circumcision prior to entering Canaan. We're told in that passage that they didn't circumcise for those 38 years of wilderness wandering. Therefore, it's logical to conclude that if they didn't circumcise, based on this passage of Scripture, that they didn't observe Passover during that time either, because to do so would have been a violation of verse 48 here of chapter 12. And that's also in compliance with their instructions in Numbers chapter 9 at the observance of the first Passover they observed out of Egypt. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.